Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group. Today is May 10th, 2021. We work together each week at this time to introduce triangles to people who are new to it and to aid them in the forming of triangles and also to provide a platform whereby those of us who are already members of triangles can come together each week and participate in a meditative visualization in the support and strengthening of the planetary network. Triangles is a simple visualization technique using the power of thought and prayer to uplift and transform consciousness. Three people come together each day subjectively, visualizing lines of lighted loving communication between themselves, forming a triangle and agreeing to do so every day. Three people to link together as a triangle of light mentally, spiritually, and in a spirit of goodwill to all humanity. Their triangle is then placed within the larger planetary network of triangles. And as the network is visualized, the great invocation, a world prayer, is sounded as a perfect vehicle to release the energies into the minds and hearts of all humanity, uplifting human consciousness and creating a more fluid divine circulatory flow of energies throughout this planetary network. Triangles need only take a few minutes each day and can therefore be fit into even the busiest of schedules. And so we welcome you to join this work. And if you would like to form a triangle, you can put your name in the chat box and hopefully two other people will share their contact information with you and you can begin working with all those people throughout the world who are already members of triangles. So as we do each week, let's begin with a brief visualization in the support and strengthening of this network. Let's begin by linking with each other and with all other triangles workers, visualizing the planet as a sphere of lighted energy. Now within that sphere, visualize a triangle composed of the three primary planetary centers, the spiritual hierarchy, the heart center, Shambhala, the planetary head center at the apex, and humanity, the planetary throat center. Visualize these centers as three spheres of light radiating their energies and linking one with the other, filling the triangle with light. And then at the center of the triangle, visualize a five pointed star, the star of the world teacher. linking east and west, past, present and future, radiating the energy of love wisdom. At each point of the star, the sphere of his activity stands an outpost of his consciousness, the five planetary centers.
Visualize the energies radiating forth from the center of the star out through the five points. London. Darjeeling. New York. Geneva. Tokyo. Visualize these outpouring energies enlivening small groups gathering everywhere, aiding them to focus and direct the energies into the consciousness of all humanity, solving its problems, creating bright human relations, restoring peace on earth. Project a bridge of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy and sound together the invocation of light. Radiance we are and power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness into day. Tomorrow, the new moon occurs at 2.59 p.m., just a minute before we start this meeting. So right before 3 p.m. tomorrow, New York time. And our Lucis Trust new moon meeting will occur tomorrow night at 6 p.m. And so we invite any of you who can to join us. And then over the next coming weekend will be the Arcane School Conference in Geneva. And so we hope as many of you as can will participate in that. And you can go to the homepage of Lucis Trust to find out um, the Zoom links for that meeting. So we welcome you to those events. And also a new event, uh, courtesy of our Spanish coworker, well, I mean our Colombian coworker, uh, Dora Ospina. The Spanish group has been working to translate the transcripts from these webinars on our webinar page on the triangles page, the Spanish triangles page. So we really appreciate that from Dora. So now if anyone wants to read those, uh, they can. And Michael has put the link in for the new moon meeting and perhaps he'll put the link in for the uh, Geneva conference as well. And after the uh, 
meditation, we'll be hearing from our co-worker, Christina Kosmadaki, who lives in Greece. And she'll be sharing um, a talk on sacred triangles in ancient Greece. And Christina has presented before. She's a long-term time student of the Ageless Wisdom and does a lot of group work in Athens and in different parts of Greece with the many co-workers that participate uh, in the work of Alice Bailey's um, projects throughout the world. Uh, they work to distribute these ideas. And so we're really very fortunate to have Christina working with us today. So I'll just share a few thoughts um, about the inner temple. In the New Testament, after the time of the resurrection of Christ, we read that Mary entered into the tomb where the body of Christ had been placed only to find the tomb empty. And she was in such despair and consumed with her grief that when she emerged from the tomb, she cried out to the man standing before her that they had taken away the Lord and she didn't know where to find him. And because she was inconsolable and full of fear, she wasn't able to be present to the fact that that Lord, which she felt the loss of, was actually standing right in front of her. And so how often in life do we act in a similar way, not being present and not thinking outside of ourselves and our concerns, not recognizing that which stands right in front of us. And the Tibetan compared this story to the day and time we are approaching to the situation that would come again in our world, only on a large scale where in humanity emerging from under the cave of materialism would likewise perhaps fail to recognize the work of the Christ and his workers that was being brought forward all around them, but which was perhaps emerging in a different form that was unrecognizable. Being focused on the form and on their own need, humanity might not be able to tap into the energy or to the essence of what might be unfolding for it's below their radar. In referencing this parallel, the Tibetans specifically called out the churches, highlighting their tendencies to become caught up in their own politics, in possessions, submerged in theological concepts and controversies, in stone buildings and cathedrals, all the while neglecting the essential temple, that temple not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Today, nearly 100 years later, from when those words were written, we might perhaps extend the problem more broadly than the churches alone and include the many groups that are working today, asking them as well to not get hung up on external things, on non-essentials, and instead to renew their commitment to the essentials, to whatever their particular dharma might be in contribution to the plan. And for those of us in spiritual work, perhaps that might mean to do what we can to foster the construction of that temple, which we can find within our own minds. And if we form part of a group, we can work towards the construction of the group temple. This temple provides the firm foundation from which all outer work can flow. We then become able to renew the world through the renewing of our minds and the group mind. And just as the building of a physical plane temple takes much toil and effort and exactitude to construct, which Christina will highlight in her talk today, 
so too does the construction of the inner temple take the same exacting work. Perseverance is necessary, therefore. Through these means of perseverance and exactitude, we can come to redirect the energies of our minds and make them agents through which the energies of the higher realms can be tapped and directed towards planetary redemption. Working together in triangles, we link all the many inner temples together, generating a massive network of light that can then be released into the world. So let's come together now in our meditation, working with group fusion. Link in thought as a group, as a point of love and light with all those people throughout the world who are also working with this Triangles Meditation Group. projecting a line of lighted energy towards the highest planetary center. We sound together the affirmation of will. In the center of the will of God, I stand. Naught shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light to create a triangle of light. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. Hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love which underlies and infuses the network.
lift the consciousness now to the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and also at the heart of each triangle. Visualize the energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in and around the triangle's network. Visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity, healing and transforming human consciousness, establishing right human relationships. Projecting the line of lighted communication towards the hierarchy, we sound the mantra of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Visualize the whole planet, a light with triangles, 
see new triangles being formed everywhere. Distribution, sounding the great invocation. As we repeat each stanza, let's visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity as a channel through which light and love and divine purpose may flow into human consciousness. from the point of light within the mind of God. Let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center, which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. And now we are going to welcome Christina. Hello, Christina. 
Greetings to everyone from Greece. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, welcome. Thank, thank you, Kathy, for this invitation. It's always a great honor for being able to contribute our little part to the Triangle Network and particularly at this time for the group vision to be strengthened and the group eye to become a little bit more illumined as we are still under the Taurian energies. With the Taurus new moon tomorrow, we find ourselves on the other side of the lighted arc spanning from the Taurus full moon and the higher yearly interlude to the new moon of the sign which stands as the lower monthly interlude, a focal point between Wesak and the coming festival of Christ, goodwill, and World Invocation Day. Taurus is an earth sign, and in addition to its nature as the bull of the god and the sign ruling the new group of world servers, it brings light to earth, our as yet non-sacred planet. Today, we are going to have a brief look at another triangle network, which might be called the sacred triangles on Earth or the sacred triangles of ancient Greece. It's only recently, in fact, only a couple of decades ago, but scientists have and researchers uh, have come to understand that ancient Greeks built their places of worship in order to form equilateral isosceles, isosceles, I don't know how to pronounce it, as well as other types of triangles, which followed the rule of the golden ratio of the number phi and the use of pi, 3.414. All the temples, monuments, and sanctuaries of ancient Greece were built with absolute symmetry and precision altarpieces, shrines, oracle temples, and even entire cities appear to conform to perfect geometric relationships or mathematical formulas echoing the celestial harmony of the spheres and the laws of the universe. The isosceles equilateral means, I think, triangle formed by the temple of Poseidon at Cape Sunion, the temple of Aphea, Athena, at Aegina Island, and the Temple of Hephaestus, Vulcan, or at Thysion of Athens, as well as another one emanating from the Temple of Apollo at Delphi, the Parthenon in Athens, and the Temple of Aphea again in Aegina, are the most famous and best studied examples by contemporary scholars, yet the unexpected symmetry continues to puzzle them. Yet the ancients always, always understood this, according to sources and references in the ancient scriptures of great philosophers, historians, and geographers, such as Herodotus, which is meant to be the father of history, but also Aristotle and Strabo. Um, we find that their writings, um, they say that the location of the sanctuaries or temples were, was not coincidental or random, but instead followed an internal regulation with its own esoteric methodology. And there was no doubt that the geometrical correlations were carefully pre-planned and entirely intentional based on ancient wisdom, perhaps from Egypt and India. Nevertheless, all these great philosophers seemed reluctant to reveal the details of this divine analogy so that the secrets until this day are quite well preserved. To unravel these codes, we are challenged to see them today anew with an esoteric vision using as much intuitive knowledge as possible. Naturally, the amazing discovery of the precision with which these ancient temples were built has created many headaches to contemporary researchers particularly as we live in a time of such advanced technological progress and GPSs. They ponder how this incredible precision was possible of achievement at 700 BC 
or even thousands here you see. Even more obscure for scientists today is to understand, to understand is the underlying purpose behind these geometrical structures, which apparently extended far beyond the Hellenic territory with triangular relationships being established between structure that included locations in the Middle East and Egypt. There are theories, of course, that these ancient sites reflect the movements of celestial bodies and their relationship to the Earth's surface, and that the holy places in ancient Greece were built in a position to align these inhabited areas of the Earth with the planets in the sky. This might be true, although reflecting only a tiny part of the whole and synthetic picture. As mentioned in these webinars before, geometry, geometria in Greek, means literally the measurement of the earth. The word is deriving from the Greek words, namely ye, ge, which means earth, and metron, meaning measure. Here we can uh, recall that God is called the great geometrician and it's a secondary quality. Uh, yet the ancients used the stadium uh, as their unit of measurement and not metron because I think metron from which our meter and kilometer are derived, they understood this as a quality and not a quantity or means of measurement. And this may explain the famous quote of Protagoras as quoted in Plato's Theatos, Man is the measure, metron, of all things. Ancient Greeks are known for their deep appreciation and devotion to sacred geometry and its rules. I don't say it in Greek, but only in English. Let no one untrained in geometry enter, refers to an inscription cited to be in Plato's Academy of Athens, which was a golden rule in antiquity. Another Greek work of the same root is geodesy, geodesia, and it means literally division of earth. Geodesy is defined as a study of the size and shape of the earth and the determination of alignments and coordinates upon, on or above the earth's surface. It concerns a surveying technique that existed even before 3000 BC known and understood by Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, and Greeks. Pythagoras in 450 BC proposed that Earth is not a disk, which was the understanding of that time, but rather a sphere. Herodotus, 420 or something BC, devised a world map, and Eratosthenes made the map of the known world at 194 BC. Nevertheless, it's uh, through mythology that we can get some clue or wider understanding as to how these measurements were applied and these extraordinary yet very ordered triangular forms were built and shaped. So according to Greek legends, a central geo geodetic point was obtained by releasing two birds of equal strength and measuring the mean of the time they employed in flight. This would allow for differences in wind current and other variables, but by repeated flights, even more accurate measurements would be obtained. In ancient literature and iconography, the flight of two doves is a standard symbol for the stretching of meridians and parallels. Quote, from prehistoric times, carrier pigeons were used for establishing geographic distances. End of quote, according to Suchini. Pair of pigeons patched on or on either side of omphali or navels of the ancient world, and they are an indication of their function as the measures of the geo geodetic absolute center. Delphi, the famous oracle center, contains a tradition of geodesy 
in its origin myth, which says that it was located by Zeus, who released two birds from the eastern and western ends of the earth, with a point where they flew past each other, being considered the center of the world, and therefore marked with an omphalos stone. To note that this stone in Delphi is depicting the flower of life. The oracle center of Delos, the island where Leto gave birth to Apollo and Artemis, Diana, also had an omphalos with a serpent wrapped around it and was located almost exactly one degree south of Delphi. Dodona in Epirus was the oldest Hellenic oracle center, according to Herodotus, while Aristotle considered considered the region to have been the most ancient part of Greece, the area from which the Hellenes originated. Herodotus reported that two black doves had, had come flying from Thebes in Egypt, one to Libya and one to Dodona. The latter settled on an oak tree and, and there uttered human speech, declaring that a place of divination from Jews must be erected there. The people of the Dona understood that the message was divine and therefore established the oracular shrine, says Herodotus. At this point, it's worth mentioning that the priestesses of the Dona were called Piliades, a word that in ancient Greek is equivalent to the dove or flock of doves the sacred bird of Aphrodite Venus. And of course, there is a great affinity between the word Piliades, our known cluster of Pleiades constellation, which is located on the head of the celestial bull, bull Taurus. This idea may be related to the manner by which the ancient Dodona priestesses interpreted the rustling of the oak or beech leaves when determining the correct actions to be taken with a quote that comes from the cosmic fire, with the sevenfold brooding mother, the Pleiades, the silver constellation whose voice is, a tink is as a tinkling bell and whose feet pass lightly over the radiant path between our worlds and hers. All these three oracle centers are aligned including also the Acropolis of Athens. And their names start with what is called in the secret doctrine, the triangle, the Greek delta, which was the vehicle of the unknown deity, says Madame Blavatsky. The true connection between the birds and the devas and the place that birds play in the mysteries is not accurately realized by the occult student. We read into the book, Treaties of Cosmic Fire, and herein lies for him the clue. And the Tibetan goes on by saying, as HPB has pointed out, birds and serpents are closely connected with wisdom and therefore with the psychic nature of God, of man and of divas. The study of mythology should reveal certain stages and relationships which will make this matter clearer. The language of the birds has a venerable history dating back to the ancient Greek world. Aesop was supposed to have understood it, as did the blind seer Tiresias. The figurehead of Jason's ship, ship, the Argo, carved of wood, from a sacred grove of trees at the oracle site of the Donna, could speak with birds. The priestesses of the Donna received their prophecies from the rustling leaves of the oak, as mentioned. Sacred trees and birds naturally share a long association. And Aristophanes is known for his satirical play, comedy, The Birds, in which two men conspire with a hopeful bird to try and overthrow Olympus. This is it for the time. Thank you. Thank you so much.
there's a lot of uh, effort put into that talk, I'm sure. And we appreciate sharing these ideas with the group. So now we come to the time when you can either raise your hand or write comments in the chat box. I have a few questions for you first, Christina. If, okay. you, have any, if you have anything that you might like to share. Um, uh, it seems that the temples that you've mentioned had some relationship uh, with the heavens. And I've heard about this in other architectural sites such as Washington DC and Stonehenge and the pyramids. Um, do you have anything else that you could share about this relationship between the structures and the heavens? Um, this uh, makes perfectly sense for me, actually, especially if we take into consideration also that it was a practice of other civilizations at these ancient, almost prehistoric times. For instance, the pattern of the Great Pyramid in Egypt has been thoroughly studied, finding out not only the accurate mathematical dimensions of the Great Pyramid, but also its orientation towards the celestial formations and North Pole of that time. So it makes really sense, but we cannot define perhaps um, in, with accuracy the, the image of the celestial, um, how can I say, at, at that time, because it's, it's it, it is moving, let's say, yeah. but, but of course it's based on, on principles and the triangular, the, the, the pattern of the triangulation in the building of ancient Greek shrines and temples is not so much about finding which exact celestial position of planets and constellations they were reflecting on Earth. This is, to me, um, for sure that it is like that because they were anyway from Hermes Trismegistus, um, the earth above, so below they practice it. But it was uh, more about finding, it's not just imitating heavens, but it's about finding a language that gods understood, so to say, a language of communication between esoteric and exoteric realms which could connect and establish communication between higher and lower kingdoms. And we see birds speaking with human voice or showing signs and predicting rocks and stones with precise function as living elements, plants for healing and initiation purposes. This is what I meant as a language. And mm -hmm. I think this equality language was based on numbers, ratios and analogies and was demonstrated just to the knowers and the initiates, to yeah. sacred geometry. Yeah. I, I, I found it interesting um, because I had read that a lot of the buildings in Washington DC here in the States um, aligned with certain stars in the constellation Virgo. And then later I heard that the ancient the, Masons, the Masons in France, I don't know during which century, but they built their cathedrals in France. I thought this was really interesting in the shape of the constellation Virgo. And so both of those constructions in France, cathedrals being built in the shape of Vir the constellation Virgo and in Washington aligning with stars seem to really relate to not only to masonry, because that is a definitely a constellation that relates to masonry, but also to this fact that whatever age we're in, the etheric body of the earth is found in the opposite energy field. And so the Piscean age during that time, the earth's energy field or etheric body, which we work with in triangles, was uh, resonating to the energy of Virgo. And so I've often wondered now that we're moving out of that age into the age of Aquarius, and that would ref be reflected in a changing energy field, not only for that which is coming in from the heavens, but that which is uh, in which we live and move, um, that would be the energy of Leo. So I've often wondered, um, how are we going to change um, 
you know, we built cathedrals, we built structures last time during the Piscean Age. I wonder if it will be something more etheric, the way we'll work as we move into Aquarius. So I didn't know if you have any thoughts on that, but it's, uh, it's something I've thought about. It's, it's, it's lovely, all of it, yes. Um, first of all, I want to share an impression that I had lately working on this uh, theme topic, that the, 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 the um, uh, Omphali, the naval places, were like uh, our planetary centers today. Uh -huh. Before New York, the Jilling Tokyo existed, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think that um, what you so beautifully depicted, there is a connection between, uh, first of all, the um, the cathedrals of France, I have heard and, and seen and, and studied a little bit, but they, they are building a pentagon, a five-pointed star. I'm not sure, I never heard of it uh, about Virgo, but this gave me the thought that um, Virgo and Aquarius are in Queen Cooks, which means, again, this connection with the five, let's say. Yeah. Um, so I don't know really if uh, we can think in form of leaps ahead, but perhaps with in, with relations between the old and the new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's see if anybody has a comment that they would like to. Would you like to read? Can you see the chat, Christina? Uh, give me a moment. Oh. Yes, but it's a, a very, very small and, and I have to scroll. I could read it for them if you'd like. Please, if, if, if it's possible. Yeah, let me scroll. Would be helpful, yes. Sure, no problem. Um, uh, Dora did clarify that the um, webinars are translated into Spanish by members of an Argentinian unit of service. So that's great. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, Martin writes, or Matthew, excuse me, writes, if we imagine a triangle with the sun above, above and humanity below, the triangle is a receptacle of light, love and spiritual will. And this triangle also radiantly transmits these divine energies to all humanity. Yes. Okay. Um, Is there, a, uh, this is from Linda Rosa, is there a similarity between the relationship of doves and snakes to heaven and earth? <laughs> I, um, dove, doves, are doves comparable to heaven and are snakes comparable to earth in your, in your view? What do you think? Uh, yes. I would say so in general, yes. Okay. Because Greek mythology has a lot with snakes and uh, to do and, uh, and, and sort of dragons, not in the sense of the Celtic way, but uh, it, yes, they, they, these temples connected, I wanted to add it, uh, the underworld with the celestial spheres and, and there are places in Greece they were saying that it's an entrance to the underworld and they were gods and semi-gods um, abiding within the earth and they had strong healing properties. Mm. So they, the view of the ancients, of the very ancients, I would say, was really holistic. It was really more than etheric, let's say. It, they, they saw the whole of, yeah. of existence. Yeah. And when I was in Greece a number of years ago, it was so interesting to see that they really believed uh, the Greek people, and I suppose it's supported by certain deep understandings within consciousness that a lot of the 
the myths that we were told were actually real, that the gods walked the earth. So maybe there was some kind of um, outpouring. There was certainly an outpouring of mental energy uh, in Greece, but a little bit earlier, maybe there was a, it was a place where during another time there was a, the gods walked the, walked the earth. I don't know if you've ever thought that. This is mentioned in uh, quite few esoteric books. Yes. Steiner and, and Blavatsky. And that's why myths are again in, in their, in the interest of people studying, even, even the, the electric universe studies myths. Yeah. This inside thunderbolts of the gods, if you know it. Um, Clarence writes, uh, yes, as Matthew says, the triangular alignment backed up by the spiritual rituals carried out of the three points would serve to draw down or create a receiving vessel for the heavenly forces. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. We have in the Tibetan books this uh, uh, depiction of the road of initiation, which is given by two in triangular form, let's say, for the sake of the energy to be not, to be properly um, transmitted. Uh, John writes, it may also prove helpful to remember that many of these temples cited at specific points using geometry also had an amphitheater nearby. It is thought that these theaters were used for teaching for entertaining and also to heal. For instance, Ephesus was a center where people would be taught to dance, to act their way to wellness, drama in its proper use. Thank you for your wonderful talk. Uh, I would like to add something here because uh, she's right. Um, it's a he. I think he, sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, I most of the of these ancient places were like threefold. Um, it, it was uh, the temple, it was the, the healing place, and it was the theater. And all of them had were like um, overlapping each other, had the same um, goal to, to heal and initiate. So it was like um, science, um, uh, art, and uh, and uh, medicine were three in one. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. We'll now get... we have no time to talk about it, but uh, really, as we live in a in a time of this uh, COVID thing. Um, it would be interesting to to refer, not now, about uh, how ancient Greeks, at least, saw the, the 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 health of people and how they appreciated in how uh, how they built healing places, Asclepia, throughout um, not only the Mediterranean. Um, uh, a place, but everywhere in Europe, actually, in Rome and, and everywhere. Yeah, that would be so interesting. It, it's another education, let's say, another point of view. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's good to have other points of view. <laughs> uh, just close with this one quote that James Mills, who presented last week, um, he says, thank you, Christina. And here's a quote from Rudolf Steiner who wrote in 1911 of a temple building of the future. He, he said, the mm. temple that belongs to the future will have walls and yet no walls. Its interior will have renounced every trace of egoism that may be associated with an enclosed space and all its colors and forms will give expression to a selfless striving to receive the inpouring forces of the universe. It's really beautiful. Thanks, James.
So we have a lot of other quotes, and I'm sorry, I don't have time to read them all. Yeah. But I will pass them on to you. And uh, just here's a quick one by Maria Cristina. She says, then the outer symbols will just be signposts of inner reality found in each human being. Yes, I do think that with this Leo energy composing the physical etheric body, it's going to be not so much that we're going to work on the physical plane structures, but more energetic yeah. fields. So thank you so much, Christina. It was thank really you, thank you and all. All right, so we'll just close with a moment of silence, thanking everybody for their contributions and linking with the worldwide group. Thank you.